Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. It's me, Jessie May, and... Elliot. Elliot is here. My nephew, Elliot. And Mary's so sick, so we're going to be dead. Uh, what did you just say? Mammy is still sick. Yes, you're right. And, and then I said we're all going to be dead. And he said we're all going to be dead. Well, in honor of Halloween, he's not... Yes, it's Halloween, so we're going to get candy. Bye. We are going to get candy. My mother is still sick. And just because we're because she always pooped in your head. I poop in my head a lot, he said. That's true. And she has a third eye, which is your brain. That's right. You have a third eye that is your brain. See, I've been teaching my nephew the important things. Well, thank you guys so much for listening another week. Make sure you check out the fan page on Patreon.com. Can we do the one out? We can see ourselves in. Well, we can do that later. Right now, we just have to do the voice. Patreon.com forward slash Jesse Mapeluso. Also, check out my YouTube. And we love Pecky Wilson. Check out my YouTube page. Yes, and your new YouTube video. Yeah, you tell them YouTube. YouTube.com. Dot com. Forward slash. Slash your prize. <laughs> forward slash Jesse May. She's gonna see Peluso. Peluso, which is weird. Yeah. It's my last name. Yeah, it's my last name. Also, him, 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 thank him. you so much. The reason I'm able to handle all of this is because of my mud water. You guys have to check out mud water, it's an alternative to coffee. And watch your videos on YouTube. And watch my videos on YouTube. Thank you, Elliot. Check out mud water, it is amazing. It's my alternative yeah, to. Coffee. And my stupid car. And he's got his car with him. It is a dope, dope alternative to coffee. And look at the boy. Look at the boy. Thank you. It's got a seventh of the caffeine. Yes, it's of, caffeine. Of coffee. <laughs> of coffee and your YouTube channel. Do, do you know what else? Mud water. And a computer. Would you see Scony on? So, do you, hi. Do you know what mud water also has? Adaptogens. Do you know what adaptogens are? Is this what it is? No, adaptogens are herbs and, and minerals no. that help you manage stress. Ow, that's my arm. I can't bend that way. So yeah. check out yeah. if you check, go, check out her YouTube channel. <laughs> check out my YouTube channel. Yeah, you need guys, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay, let me get this one little bit of information out because I need to know. Okay. If you go to mudwater.com forward slash sharp tongue and enter the code SHARPTONGUE, you can get 15% off of your entire purchase at Mudwater. Check it out. I yeah, highly recommend it, it. Elliot recommends it. It's so delicious, especially this time of year. I love the flavors. and They're a sponsor now, and I appreciate them, and I'm excited to work with them. And Elliot is very excited about it, too. <laughs> it's been quite a week. I'm still dealing with... I'm still dealing with a lot with, yep, yep, with my mom. I'm gonna put this in my room. Okay, I'm still dealing with a lot with my mom and trying to help my sister with her kids. That's why he's my podcast partner right now. 
And this episode, speaking of podcasts, is so exciting. I am chatting with someone who I'm a fan of. I love his music. We became friends on the interweb, and him and his wife are just amazing, and his music is amazing. And he was very kind to sit down with me yes. during this time to discuss his life, upbringing, his demons, and all the things that got him to yeah. where he is today. And I hope you guys enjoy this interview with rapper, poet, I consider him a poet, Jelly Roll. <laughs> Jelly Roll is my favorite. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie Peluso. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss comedy how hard it is to make it in this biz i'm a fucking professional each week it's something different sometimes i have a guest host sometimes it's gonna be a movie companion episode sometimes i just ramble about the bullshit i dealt with the week before you never know what you're gonna get it's raw uncut and funny it's me what's up everybody we are back what a fucking week what a month what a year it has been for everybody, um, I am upstate New York right now, and I'm super excited about our guest, whose music I've been binging on lately and indulging in. And I, there's something about his sound that makes me feel nostalgic, but also hopeful because there's a there's a new element to it. But he also kind of represents where I grew up in a way because of his sound. So I feel connected to him in that in that element. So um, I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. He's a busy motherfucker because he is everywhere please give it up for my new brother from another mother mr jason deford aka yeah. jelly roll yeah baby yes i'm here <laughs> we were just talking about um you know the dra- the, the dramas of having children you're oh, a dad yeah. so you oh, know yeah. it's a I fucking li- thing I literally was just about to text my sister. Hey, can they not ride on the um, the the car? What do you call those cars that they get? The the, the mini cars? Oh yeah, the little they got the, so they're baby babies, right? They got the like little Tonka trucks and shit. Power wheels. They're called power, power wheels. wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The power wheel gang. I understand. I remember that. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I feel like you just I, isn't there a new baby? I got dose. No, no new babies. Uh, but we do have two. And uh, they're pretty, pretty, pretty spread out. I got a five-year-old and a twelve-year-old. Oh wow! Yeah, the twelve-year-old we have full time. My wife and I are like that's like the constant. So the five-year-old kind of you know we get them when we can. So it's a little, little easier. But the twelve-year-old is like always there. And is it a girl? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, my twelve-year-old's a daddy's little girl, dude. She's a little shithead. It's awesome. How do you feel about having? a daughter in this era. Cause it's so hard to like compare it. But like when I grew up, when we grew up, there was no technology. We didn't have to worry about Instagram and social media. No, nah, dude, I seen a meme yesterday that said it the best. It was like, when I grew up, it was like, I would come home with like Loch Ness monster stories of playing baseball for six <laughs> hours, hitting three home runs, getting chased by a neighborhood pit bull. You know what I'm saying? Watching two bums fight. Like I would have like the wildest stories and my kid's story is just like, I made a new TikTok. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, oh no. 
it was like so a totally, it's a totally different culture. Like I would literally come home like, Mom, I want a bag of chips. She'd be like, Hi, I'd be like, I've been on this one bum that he could beat up this other bum, and he did. You know what I'm saying? And she'd be like, Okay, you know what I'm saying? And my kids like, check out this dance I learned to this super song that I shouldn't be dancing to until I'm like 45. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh fuck. And even the 45-year-olds are doing that on TikTok. It's yeah, just no, it's everyone's cool. dancing. It's it, dude. And I'm fucking the opposite of a dancer, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You grew up in Nashville, right? Yeah, yeah, right out south of Nashville called Antioch. It's in Nashville, but I just represent my little district. So it's like I'm from Antioch, Tennessee. Do you have siblings growing up? Oh, yeah, fuck a house full of them motherfuckers, dude. I had like, <laughs> fucking, like two sisters and three brothers, and we always had like a homeless cousin sleeping on the couch with his family. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was a big deal. We were like a mobile, we were like a constant uh, turnbuckle halfway house for people. So every person in the family that ever hit a hard stretch has, the, yeah, I lived with you one time. I'm like, I remember. <laughs> You, know what I'm <laughs> you were like the halfway house for the family. Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. My mother was like, she would accept all stray puppies. You know what that's I'm saying? So, so sweet. Yeah, yeah. That's how my wife is. So it like works out perfect because my wife is like, come on, come on, everybody, come stay here. She does. I don't. I've never met her. We, you guys have sent me a couple videos, and I obviously have cyber stalked your entire life. But she seems like a beam of light. She oh, seems dude. just like a beam of light. Oh, dude, she's the best, man. She is definitely the rails to keep the train on the track. Ooh, I mean, how badly do you need that? And I don't mean you, just you specifically, no, but I, I mean it. you no, totally and people right. like you. No, personalize it. I was fucking shit out of luck. I'd have fucking, I'd have been long back in jail or fucking died of an overdose or something. I tell people when I met her, I was like a fucking 580 pound drug addict and a fucking just complete piece of shit. And now I'm like a 400 pound alcoholic. So we're making baby steps. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, at least you have self-awareness. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you're willing to, like, go there about yourself. Most most people, I feel like, in your position, you know, it's it's either it's one or the other. There's extreme self-awareness or they're like, what? Yeah. I'm what fucking perfect. Talking? What are you I'm talking about? Totally There's nothing fine. wrong. Yeah, no, totally. It's not. them. It's not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking these. No, but, so we've made great, great improvements, man. She's definitely definitely anchors my ship down so it's, how it's long cool. have you guys been together now we've been together we've been married for four years we've been friends for quite a while so was she from where you grew up we're going on five now no she's from vegas so i met her like just touring much like comedians right i've always yeah. wanted to do a podcast with a comedian because i like am the i think that's how we also became like i started stalking you too <laughs> you're funny like, as fuck man but i'm such a like such a comedian fan like <laughs> I don't listen to music on my tour bus, right? Like we don't listen to no music. Cause like we make music for a living, right? Right. So it's podcasts and comedy specials and shit. And I so listen to music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause you know, fucking what you do. Right. So it's like, I've just always had this like earning to relate to like y'all's lifestyle is the exact same of ours, except for I'm jealous because y'all get all this money and y'all pay like a front of house person. Like, Hey, you run the sound tonight. Here's a couple hundred bucks. You know what I'm saying? We don't even yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, for us, it's like, you got to fucking bring this whole band and a bus and shit. But, um, it was like, so I was just constantly like, just like y'all, like anybody who would let me open for them for a couple hundred dollars. You know, my question wasn't how much money they were paying me. It was how many people were going to be there. Right. Who, do you remember, like, who the first person you opened for was? 
the first like nationwide tour. I opened up for everybody when they would come to Nashville because like I've always been like a real local guy. But my first nationwide touring act was, are you familiar with ICP? It sounds like something you get after you go to Vegas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've had it twice and you can get rid of it. It's like chlamydia with a fucking uh, antibiotic. <laughs> I think I, I got it now. I have to yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've had the clap too. It fucking sucks, man. It's gone in three days, though. You just make it clap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what so is like, ICP? It's the insane clown posse. Oh they're, yeah, they're infamous yeah. for like the Juggalo culture. Yep. So I toured with a band that was signed to them called Twisted. That was the first nationwide tour I did, and then I did an ICP tour, and <laughs> I went on this metal tour with this band called Mushroom Head from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and those were like the first. My first year of touring like that, I did like 220 shows. And my deal was like, I would just open up for anybody who like, like they called me like, you want to open up for such and such? I wouldn't know them. I'd be like, how many tickets are they going to sell? They'd be like, at least 300 tickets a night. I'm like, I'm fucking in. And they were like, don't you want to know what you're getting paid? I was like, I don't care. It's I, grassroots. Like you yeah, literally. I like, yeah, I'll sell enough t-shirts to keep the, the fucking van running. Whatever. Let's just go. Have you always had that like drive? Because I feel like the, another thing that happens with artists, you know, especially in the comedy industry, but I would imagine in the music industry, sometimes the artistry and the business savviness doesn't meet, but it seems like you've been grinding for so long and you understand the value of a fan, a single fan. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. What dude, it's like, I explained to people that my shit was more like a comedian in the sense of it was real brick by brick. Mm -hmm. Like in the comedy world, y'all have very few cases, unless it's like, it's different now because you have people who blow up on the internet and they just go sell a 2000 person theater out and have never worked a comedy club. And you're like, and those people fuck? are like, what is this? Yeah, for sure. It's like fucking what? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like in the old comedy days, there was nobody who had that opportunity, right? No. Like if you had to work the fucking comedy clubs, like you didn't have a choice. And you had to just brick by brick and then you comedy club and then you do it two nights and you do it three nights. And then you're doing zanies for five nights. And finally the booking agent comes to you and goes, we think you might be able to do the rhyming. And you're like, I go to the fucking theater now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so it was like the same thing in our world. We just built it brick by brick. We we're playing like rock and roll clubs, like whiskey, a go-go's and shit across the oh, country. Shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, that was kind of the vibe. And we just did it for fucking 10 years straight. And I met her just doing that. That's so dope that she's been with you through your rise and has seen you, you know, at all the points of your career for the most part, especially like having her come in in that time that you both appreciate the struggle that it takes to get where you are. Oh, dude, you know, it's like funny because for those of y'all, there's a lot of people watching this that don't know who I am. But to be a fat fucking repugnant fuck, <laughs> I have a hot wife, like a super scorching wife, right? And because she's, she's so really, hot, so hot, and because she's so hot, people are always like, "She's a gold digger." And I'm like, "Do y'all know that I own like three pair of jeans and a 1997 <laughs> Chevrolet Astro van when I met her and I slept it's a on great her van. Couch. Before I graduated to the bedroom, I slept on her couch. Like I was that dude. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just like fucking couch surfing USA, just fucking doing shows and anywhere I could land. And our first three conversations, I just asked her if she had a Xanax. <laughs> I was just like all fucked up. Like you got a Xanax. She said, you'd walk up like you were finna say something serious. Dead behind the eyes. Like you got a Xanax. <laughs> Is that the new pickup line? <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck it worked for me, man. <laughs> well, she, at least she liked you for you. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. 
She yeah, loves yeah. every bit of you. It, you can see it. It seems like you, you guys have a very genuine relationship, and that's just hard to find, I think, especially yeah. now. Just, just the way. Friends. Yeah. Yeah, people it, fuck it up when they start not being friends no more. You got to stay friends. How do you guys, how do you maintain that? We just, you have to think about it from friends. Like people don't think about where they, everybody's best friends with the person they're fucking right. They were all with their best friend, but you don't treat them like a best friend. Right. right. Because like if me and my dude were out drinking a beer, my dude was like, God, look at that bitch. She's fucking smoking. Right. I'd be like, fuck yeah, dog. But you do. But if your spouse does that about a dude, y'all, you're not best friends at that moment. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, or vice versa. So we just always remember that, like, how would you really treat it if it was your homie? Right. Like if it was you and one of your girls out drinking and she said something just absolutely wild. Like if your dude said that, how would you feel? It, it's just you got to keep it real. Nine out of 10 times, you're not best friends in that moment. Right. right. You know and so it's like you got to be best friends all the time. And that's been our secret to success. And the other side is just constantly dating. Like we make each other fall in love. That's kind of our thing. Like make time for each other. You know what I'm saying? The goal is never just get stagnant in the relationship. So, I mean, I don't have it all fucking figured out, but I'm, I'm doing all right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I feel like that should be that. That's the, the main line. Like no one has it all figured the fuck out. Right. You're doing the best that you can, you know? Right. And You're speaking of like, cause I would imagine, you know, you had a huge tour. I had a huge tour planned for this year. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Dude, I swear, man. I mean, so first of all, what was your first thought when everything was going to be canceled? Oh, we're fucked. <laughs> I was like, we're fucked, man. It's like, I'm sure you're in the same spot I was in where like, I was starting to get offers for this year that like, I didn't believe. Like, I was like, I was like calling the booking agent after he'd send the email, like, yo, don't, don't play with me, dog. Like, is this for real? He'd be like, no, I swear. I'd be like, for real, for real, though. Like, you swear to God, that's how much they're guaranteeing me? He was like, dude, we're going to make money off the door, too. I was like, man, fuck that. You're telling me the number on the email is for sure? He was like, yeah. I was like, yes. Like, I started, like, making all these plans for life. And then what's even worse is I knew it was going to be a big year touring. So we took, like, we did, like, like warm-up dates. You know what I'm saying? So, like, mm -hmm. we did, like, five shows in December two in uh, February, like three in March. Like I was not doing shows to go do like 125, 138 shows this year. Like I had this whole, like intentionally took last fall, winter and fucking spring off. Like this is my year. Like I was gearing up for like, yeah. And fucking just not a fucking show, man. I feel like you've, it, it, did it make you kick up your social media? I feel like you you feel present. You feel omnipresent. Oh, yeah. No, no, dude. I had this thing where it was like, I knew that careers would be made and they would fade during this. And I knew that how artists, I knew that I had to transition from being just an artist to being a content creator. I was mm. aware of that. It goes back to like making sure the art meets the commerce at times and understanding the importance of that, like from the business aspect of what we do. So I knew that it was like, okay, I have to make this make sense. Like I have to be bigger than an artist now. Like we have to go into content creation. Like we have to crank shit out. You know what I mean? It is a part of the process now. Just like you said before, you know, kids come back and from playing and they don't talk about all the stuff. They talk about TikTok. Like that's yeah. new, new playground for everybody. That's it. And everybody's there too. So it's like a whole new thing. So 
I've been just doing the best I can with it. And I wanted to do it like an artist should. So we normally put out, you know, maybe three to 12 videos a year, music videos. We will have put out 40 by the end of this year. And that's just the evolution of what's going on. I mean, that's you keeping up and evolving with the the current landscape. That's what right. makes artists like you not only survive, because I've talked about this in my podcast this entire quarantine. It's not about survival. It's about thrival. It's like how you right. can thrive. Right. Surviving is hanging on. Thriving is kicking through. Yeah. You no, know? Sure. I know a lot of artists that just, like I said, I know a lot of artists that are, my, I'm worried about my label buddies. Like in our yes. business, all my buddies, they count on touring. They can't mm -hmm. control when they hit the upload button. They can't control the amount of content they put out. They, they are like, I talked to my dude, because I'm in Nashville, like Music Row, country music. I'm like, where my office is right now, I could throw a rock and hit Warner, right? Like, yep. Literally, I could, I, could, I could run across the street right now and take a piss on Warner Brothers porch and come back before you roll to join on this podcast. I'm that I think that sounds like a great idea. I think when I I'm in Nashville next that we should make that content. Yes. <laughs> Fucking and blog it. But, uh, so we're right here and all my dudes are like, dog, I don't, you know, they're talking about 2021 next year for us. Us too. Yeah. it's fucking And that's speculative. Let's be honest. Like that's even a speculation of when we're going to be out on the road because, you know, do you want to go to a half filled arena right especially for what y'all do we have a lot of crowd energy that's important but like crowd work is y'all shit yes like you count on the contagiousness of laughter you know what i'm saying like and if that should spread out <laughs> in know, cars in a parking yeah. lot oh yeah you can't hear them at all you're just having to hope it's landing you know what i'm saying you're just, you'll have you'll have two types of comedians comedians <laughs> who quit because they can't hear the laughter and comedians who will thrive because they don't care <laughs> They're just like, ha ha, I'm killing. I'm fucking killing tonight. It's the best night I've ever had. You know what I'm saying? Just, it's just I been just me, honestly, like running my new jokes with my dogs. Like, I just, I tell my dogs jokes. Oh, look at the little puppy. It looks like a little rat. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, look at, at his weenie, though. Look how hungry he is. Yeah, no, he's blessed. Fuck, I'm jealous. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Lucky fucking pup. <laughs> what, um, what were your, I want to know, like, what your parents were like when you grew up? Were you close with both of your parents? Oh, so me and my dad were, like, really, really, really close. He wasn't there a lot because he worked really hard. My mother. What did he do like, for work? Not there. He was a meat salesman. So like, a meat like, salesman? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, he's a professional gigolo. <laughs> he's like, hey, I got a little sausage. You want to see it? <laughs> no, no, he really did. He sold wholesale meat. So my father's father had started a wholesale sausage company and it was called D Ford sausage company. Right. What? And this was back in the old, old era. Keep in mind, my dad would have actually been 77 today. So he came from the era where his father would like, they went door to door with the meat truck with the cooler and the ice and was just do, do, you know, I'm here for your weekly sausage drop. You know what I mean? Or you need some pork or some tenderloins or whatever. And he would just sell it right off the back of a wagon. Um, and then my father, was kind of a business savvy guy. So he paralleled it into a wholesale business. He'd realized that door to door wasn't the future. So he would partner with all the local like grocery store. I hate to age us, but like, you remember like the Winn Dixie's, I don't know. You're from yeah, up there. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what they were called up there, but like the CB Smith's, the yep. Rights, the yep. Winn Dixie's, like the little local grocery stores. And he would sell meat to all those like wholesale meat. So he also, for the first half of my life was a bookie. 
So he would, yeah, he would leave. I used to get allowance money for writing down the scores from Saturday's game off the Sunday papers on a sheet of paper form. And when I got older, I'd finally be like, what was I doing that for? He'd say, because some dumbass would bet on Appalachian State versus fucking Southeastern Carolina University, and that wasn't <laughs> on TV. So I, the only way I'd know if I won or lost would be, you know, when the paper came out the next day. So I'd have you write down all the scores. But what I was looking for was them little obscure colleges that some drunk bet on. You know what I mean? Cause, yeah. Because he went to fucking South Appalachian State University. and was like, I'm betting on them against whoever. You know what I mean? So and that was just, you know what I'm saying? So... Me and him were really close. Me and my mom were super close. We had a, re- like I said, we had a really tight household. So yeah, so- that's that's important, you know. Yeah, we were like really, really, really close. You were really close with your family too, right? Yeah, my. So it's your dad's birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday to your dad. What's yep. his name? His name's Buddy. He, Buddy. Uh, he would have been seventy-seven. He died two years ago of uh, CLL of leukemia. What up? bitch yeah it just fucking sucks dude you know i posted a video on my instagram today of him us singing him happy birthday his last birthday and i look back at it now and the sign was so clear he was so frail because my dad was like a big old big old boy like me big old broad shoulders shake your hand damn near break it ass motherfucker right you know dad yeah. was, you know we talked with a real baritone voice you know was really cool though but just hey was hey just a me you know that guy <laughs> was he and, funny uh, funny as fuck he was, fucking, <laughs> he was, he was a full-blown hoop man and he <laughs> but he uh but i look back and i go man he was really sick and he would but he was such an old school he was one of them dudes who's been to the doctor like three times his whole life my dad was the same way yeah so he was like sick as fuck and you know i'd say damn what, what's up with you man he'd be like oh, i'm just getting old jason just getting old man. <laughs> you know and he just i'll never forget one day like eight months before he died we were walking and he stopped and he was just breathing heavy and he was having trouble getting over one of those um, parking humps, right? And I was like, you all right, man? He was like, yeah, man, my fucking hip. That's how sharp he was, though. And, you know, it was his lungs. He had leukemia, but he wouldn't. He didn't know. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't tell nobody he was that sick. He's right. like, it's my hip. I was like, dude, they're fucking 20 grand. I'll buy you a hip. He was like, I don't fucking want a hip. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like, I'm fine. I was like, dude, it's an uninvasive surgery. It's like robots now. He's like, I don't want no fucking robot touching by my dick. He's like, I don't want fucking... <laughs> I'm totally fine. I'm cool. Just give me a second. I'm going to get over it. You know, and I just, because he was so tough, I thought he was, you know, I was like, oh, whatever. And blew it off. Now you look back at the pictures and go, damn, he was sick, sick. You know, yeah. he, he was just, it didn't keep him from going to the water and hole every day at five o'clock. I'd meet him there and he'd just stumble in, grab him his drink. You know what I'm saying? You know, just, are we related? I'm telling you, dude, listen. When he, My listen, dad was drinking every day. Every day. So if you go to this spot called the Tin Roof on Demumbrian, me and the White, Tin Roof? Yeah, the Tin Roof. The wife and I will take you there when you come to town. So it was the first tin roof in, ever. And they have a plaque above where he sat at the bar with his name on it that they like drilled in when he died. He was like a legend at this spot. Like they love, they got pictures of him all around the bar. Now he's like fucking, he was the man at that bar. And well, it was if you ever tour here, we have a bar in Syracuse. If you ever find yourself in Syracuse touring, we've got some huge venues We'll go. I'll take you to the change of pace where literally nothing changes. And <laughs> my dad has his stool there, and they've got photos of him everywhere as well. That's awesome. No, that was Buddy D for it, dude. It's like That's all the way. So was, wild. Yeah. Yeah. That was what cool. you know, I read some things about you talking. You made a post uh, uh, when your dad passed away. Uh, was it in May 2019? It was, it was March 19. Yeah. March 19. Um, 
you said that there were too many lessons to list that your father had taught you. When you think at the top of your head, lessons that were the most important, or maybe lessons you've used a lot in your own fatherhood, what, what comes to mind? Don't sweat the small stuff. Believe it or not, it's like probably like the basic essential of it. When I was in prison, he gave me a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It's all small. <laughs> book, right? <laughs> and I read it and I didn't understand the power of it until later. <laughs> but I was like, he's totally right. Like, it's all fucking minuscule, dude. None of this shit really matters, you know? Was, um, were you just as close with your mom in a different way? Yeah, in this really weird way. So, like, me and my mother are close, but, like, my mother was, like, has struggled with her own demons her whole life, you know? And by default, I've had to struggle with them. And I'm like the only family member that still talks to her. So I take care of her and I love her. And her and my other brother, her and one of my brothers are close. My other brother who didn't talk to her for 20 years, I took him over there to see her like three months ago. First wow. time they see each other in 20 calendar years. So, you know, she's, um, we're really close. We're close. Yeah, she's just, it was more me and dad because he was just more mobile. You know, I hate to say it that way, but my mother's one of them old right now. <laughs> she's sitting at a kitchen table, <laughs> drinking a Coke, smoking a cigarette that she just lit off of another cigarette. She might not have even put the previous cigarette out. It might be sitting there smoking down to the butt with the new one lit and rolling with a cigarette at a kitchen table, Indian style or one leg under crossed under another. Shaking back and forth, just puffing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> is is smoking section about her? Well, it's just smoking section was just like about everybody I'd ever seen that went through some shit like that. You know, it's like I just the whole idea of smoking section for me was where is the part of heaven for us? Mm. Right? Like, like we're like we know where we belong at in the church in the back pew. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, well, we made it in church, but just fucking barely. So when we make it to heaven barely, like, where do you put us at? You know what I'm saying? And my idea was always like, well, there's got to be a smoking section up there. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be. Yeah. Plus, I'll age myself again. I remember smoking sections, right? Like, kids don't get it. But, like, I vividly remember walking into a restaurant and Shoney's especially. And they knew my mother. They didn't even ask. They just hurried us to the smoking section. And sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because they didn't have nothing to block the regular section from the smoking no. section. So when you look back, it was all the fucking smoking section, right? What were we thinking? <laughs> it was like a square room in this corner would just be for smokers. <laughs> and she'd just be back there just fucking literally. My mother just... would walk into Shoney's with one lit in her hand. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not putting this out. Just hurry me to my table. You know what I'm saying? Who, who gave you? Oxworthy might be a redneck if books when they were the books and they had the picture yes. of the old lady with the curlers and the nightgown. The moon, moon. That's my mother. First year, I've seen her not wearing a nightgown like maybe six times my whole life. You know what I'm saying? My face hurts. <laughs> I swear this is true, man. Does she? Did she give you the name Jelly Roll? Where Jelly Roll yes. come from? I've been fat forever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you how this doctor fucked me, right? <laughs> Not literally, but in this weird way. This doctor, when I was a kid, I wouldn't eat. So I don't remember this, obviously, or have pictures to prove it. But from one to three and a half, I was like beanpole skinny, but big shoulders. And they were like, this boy's got to fill out. So at like four years old, the doctor was like, 
feed him anything he'll eat. And apparently, all I would eat was bowling alley French fries and donuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so my mother took it literal and was like, yeah, fucking feed him French fries and donuts. So she started calling me a little jelly roll because I'd come wake up looking for donuts. And it just fucking stuck. So your mom basically is the reason that she she turned you into a big boy? <laughs> yeah, she literally turned me into a little fat fucker, man. You know what I'm saying? Now, I want to paint a picture of my mom more clear, too. I don't want you to expect this to be a small woman in a nightgown. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't want you to be under the impression it's going to be like a 120-pound, 5'6 woman. Yeah, it's not the case. She's like 5'2", 210. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> She's a little bitty short nugget. About as wide as she is tall. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, just, my God. I haven't laughed this hard in so long. <laughs> she's just sitting there chain-smoking cigarettes, dude. It's in, Indian style at the, at the kitchen style, table. At a kitchen table in a moo-moo, fucking just blowing them back to back. She sounds like a hoot. If we pull up there, oh, she'll tell you the best stories, dude. She'll tell you about when she worked the car hop in the 50s and shit. Yeah, my mother, I was like 12 years old, and my mother was just like openly talking to me about wild shit. That's just like what? So it would be like, I call them the golden girls. It was like her and five or six of her girlfriends. And they would all sit downstairs and they would sit around the kitchen table and smoke cigarettes and just tell wild stories. And I would just go sit with them and just hang out. You know, I was like, oh, this is fucking, they'd let me hang out. So they're like, come on, pull up a chair. I remember sitting there just fucking, (coughs) cause they were just fucking just blowing. Right. And they would just tell crazy fucking stories about sucking dicks and car hop parking lots and just fucking wild shit. And I just remember being like, this is fucking awesome. You know what I'm yes. saying? Oh, these old ladies were the goats. The Golden Girls. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that what she did when you were a kid? She worked the car hop? Well, she she was a bartender when she met my father. Ooh. So, when he was what, selling his sausages? Yeah, 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 for sure. When he was sausage. She's like, I'll take one of those yeah. sausages. Yeah, so. <laughs> She, she, she met him at a bar. She was working at a place. But before that, like in her younger years, she worked at the Quality Inn. She's really got a crazy story because she's around my dad's age. She's in her 70s. Mm-hmm. And she grew up in a single mother home with three other sisters and one brother. So it was five of them all together with a single mother. And you got to think In that era. That. In that era, that was like the fucking, that woman was going to hell. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. According, especially in Nashville, Tennessee, the South. Right. So it was just, she just grew. And the mother was granny Hazel. God rest her soul was mean as a scorpion. Man, that old lady was just fucking crazy. mean. even I remember being a kid, just, just, ah, you know, all the time. So Donna just grew up real rough, man. You know what I'm saying? They called them the Gleason girls. That's her maiden name was Gleason, her and her yeah. three sisters. And they just grew up real, real tough. So mama just found her way. Never, never made it out of the ninth grade, you know? She didn't graduate past the ninth grade. Nope. What did, what were some lessons that she taught you? Well, you know, she, I didn't realize what she was teaching me when she would say it then, but we talk about education and she'd go, look, man, get through school because it's important. But at the end of the day, you're just doing that to work for somebody who decided to work instead of go to school. I mean, that's the whole problem with our education system right there. It's so real. When you think it about is. it, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's talks I have with my daughter to this day are just like, Bailey, the shit that matters in life is not going to be taught to you from three to three. I mean, from eight to three. The shit I teach you from three to eight is the shit that's going to matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, and Donnie used to always tell me that. I'd come back in and we'd talk about math and she'd be like, that shit don't matter if you can't balance a checkbook, you know? 
and they never taught us that in school. There was no financial nope. classes that would carry on the math. They're teaching us all this long division. What the fuck does it matter if I have no money? Nope. I'm dividing nothing. Yep, that was Donna D for dude. She taught me that real just... Donna was a hoop, man. She's still a hoop. You, 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 you come to Nashville, me and the wife will take you I own. need to hang out with her. She's a hoop, man. That old lady's fucking hilarious. I am coming to Nashville because a couple of my dear friends are moving there. Josh Wolf, who you need to know, you will love him, is moving to Nashville and a couple other people I know. So, And I know Kelly Pickler out there and a few other artists. So I would love to come see you for sure. Link it up, dude. Fucking, we're excited. <laughs> We don't leave, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, where, where the fuck are we going to go? <laughs> what about um, getting into music? What what Was there one thing that drove you? I know you talked about demons, and obviously music is a great avenue and um, outlet to talk about your demons, per se. What, what drove you to music? I think everybody is looking for a way to express themselves or identify with somebody who's expressing what they believe. <clears throat> and music was it for me. I always wrote, always did fucking songs. I always like wrote poetry when I was a kid. I'd come down and mom would be like, read what you wrote to us to the golden girls at the table and shit. So I was like always in the middle of that. You know what I mean? But I just, yeah. like, it just kind of started turning really like forming into, it started hip hop obviously. And uh, just kind of kept forming and just, it's what I do, man. I couldn't imagine. You are a poet. Uh, listening oh, to yeah. your lyrics there's a there's a huge vulnerability that you display. It's yeah. like this this blend of vulnerability and toughness just from the life that you've lived. And only you say, I only feel right when I'm down when I'm when I'm doing wrong. Right. Yeah. And what well, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, man, it's like <clears throat> I find um uh I have a lyric that I say, I love the darkness where no one goes, where no one's known. So everyone's at home. You know, it's like the idea of like, I've always felt like a voice for the voiceless. And mm -hmm. like to this day, you know, uh, it's an old, it's an old Tim McGraw lyric that says, I'm a little more, I'm a little more, uh, I'm a little more, a little more back row bar than a fancy one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just as a general trait, like I know my people, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that was before the music. Now I know who I'm singing to. So, I mean, that's that's like the most important thing for a musician is figure out who the fuck you were writing songs yes. for, write them for them, right? But for me, it was easy because I knew my people before that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew my people when I would walk into a bar. I'd browse the bar and be like, oh, that's my people. That's Who's my your people. Who would you say your people are? I'll tell you a story. I went out with this label guy the other day, and I, I can't, all I can say on this podcast per a non-disclosure agreement is... I, <laughs> <laughs> I am very close to signing a record deal and I've, I've stayed independent to this point. In my you career. have been independent. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, we went to like some real fancy steakhouse. Right. And I was already sitting there when he came in, you know, and uh, he sat down and looked at me and said, man, I'm, I'm kind of surprised more people in here don't know you, man. I know you're real famous in Nashville. I said, oh, these aren't my people. I said, but I tell you this, before we leave here, the cook will come out and say, what's up to me? The line cook will be here before we leave. The waitress will ask for a picture before we leave. And the valet guy will know who I am for sure. We sat there and sure enough, as soon as they dropped the playoff, cook came out. Shelly, man, what's up, baby, man? What do you think about the steak? You know, like before we left, the waitress was like, can I grab a picture? 
before walked out. When we got our car, valet dude already had my truck pulled up. Like, yo, I parked it right here for you, Jelly. I knew it was you. It looked like your truck you'd be in. They said you was inside. And I was like, I know my people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know my people. Like, I know them when I see them. You know, it's middle class, lower class, blue collar, white trash fucking people. I know. I spot them from across the street. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know my kind of folks when I see them. Like, you know, uh, in the comedy world, I knew Joey Diaz was my kind of people. You know what I'm <laughs> I know boy, my kind of my people. You know what I'm I knew Bert was my kind of people, right? My my wife seen you on a was it girl code? girl code? Girl code. She seen yeah. you on girl code, right? So she was <laughs> like, "Yo, that's your kind of people." Like we know our kind of people. You know what I'm saying? Like I know my kind of people. Like you don't. I'm not going to waste time. Even when people, if somebody walks up to me, man, you look, you do music or something. <laughs> I, I, I know that if you're not my people, I will lie to you. I'd be like, yeah, kind of, man. I play the piano every now and then. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, you're not. I fucking, play the piano. I'm a finger simplest. You're not going to fucking look me up and like the music. I'm not going to sit here and waste my time going into the what I do shit with you. Like, yeah, fucking, you know, yeah, I fucking, I fucking play the horns. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know everything but the fucking skin flute. You know what I mean? I've seen your wife. You do play the horns. I she play is. The fuck out of them horns. God, she's gorgeous. Well, Speaking oh, of your people, I have a bunch of questions from your fans. Would you like to answer a couple? I love answering questions, man. Okay. Um, this is hilarious. I'm sure you get this shit all the time. Stu Burgundy, what's an email I can send you some beats? Oh, shit. <laughs> you know what? Hold on. I'm going to look one up for him, actually. <laughs> you should. It would yeah. make his year. His, it would make his life. Yeah, I, you know what I'll do? I'll get him to send it to uh uh hold on. Fuck you, man. You listening, Stu? We're gonna get you an email. Stu! I, I, fucking... I, I love Burgundy, by the way. I fucking Stu Burgundy. I thought about Ron Burgundy and got fucking just so excited. Oh yeah. I have many leather bound books. Uh hold on. 50% of the time it works every time. I want to be on you. I don't know how to say this, but I want to be on you. There it is. Matt at wardogmgmt.com. M-A-T-T at wardogmgmt.com. That is spelled like war, W-A-R, and dog as in a poodle. <gasps> Stu, you probably weren't <laughs> expecting that. But see, when you ask, you get. That's it. We have not because we ask not. The Bible says that. Absolutely. Uh, Stephanie B. True, what's your favorite tattoo and can we see it? And got to say thank you for saving me and for bringing me back to life. Oh, uh, dude, thank you, Stephanie, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Stephanie. Great question. I have too many tattoos that mean something to me, but believe it or not, I guess immediately the ones that mean the most to me are from my neck above. So my son's name is right here. My daughter's name is on the side of my head. I got my wife's the B. She's got the J on the side of her ear. I got the B on mine. Um, I got this rose when my father passed away. And I got this cross because I believe that we all have to bear our own cross. And I'm reminded to carry mine every day. You got it right when you look at it, right in the morning. As soon as I wake up, first thing I say, and that's what people ask, what'd you do that for? And I was like, you know, I just believe it just reminds me that I got to carry mine. Yeah. And also it's my body and shut the fuck yeah. up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's my input. Me, I was really close to doing a little dick on there, but I didn't. So be happy. <laughs> oh, a little dick. Be 
maybe I'll get a little dick. Um, <laughs> Badass 88. When is Waylon and Willie 4 coming out? Oh, I can't say, but super soon. Before the end <laughs> of the year. I probably shouldn't have even said that, but before, before, before the end, before 2021. This is a really good question from Wills115. Did Jelly ever want to quit at times? And what were the times that made him want to give up? That's so, a tough question. I, yeah, dude. The most memorable was right before I dropped The Biggest Loser in 2015. That was like the one that I even like posted a Facebook status about it. Like, dude, I'm over this, y'all. I've tried. I've been touring for 10 years. I've been eating dirt and eating shit. And I just got to give this up. And I'm sorry. And I sat down with dad of all people that day. I was like, dude, I think I'm just going to fucking, you know, figure out something to do with my real life. And he was like, why? You're so close. I was like, I don't feel so close. He said, well, listen, son, it's the law of work ethic, right? I'll never forget this conversation. He said, if you would went to college for this right now, you would be going into your doctorate degree to be a fucking brain surgeon. You got to be close. You're working just as hard as every kid at Vanderbilt is on their seventh year right now. He was like, don't fucking bail out now. And sure enough, I stuck with it. Two years later, I made a little money. <laughs> 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 but uh, that was it. But I tell you what, I battle a deep-rooted depression, right, that just swarms me unexpectedly. I have to make myself not quit four or five times a year still, Jess. You know How what do I mean? you what, – what keeps you going? Well, I've learned uh, the kids, the family – the people that work for me now, I'm like, I'm pretty selfless. If this was just about, if life was just about me, I'd have definitely already, you know, probably accidentally killed myself. You know what I mean? Cause I did a lot of stuff that should have killed me. You know what I mean? This, this, this big old boy is a tank. I tell you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it's held some shit that would have took the average man up out of here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's uh, I probably would have accidentally killed myself. So it's like, I look at that now and go, okay, cool. I'm doing this for this. Plus, I got my wife and a good team now that I can talk to. It's so important to be able to sit down with somebody and go, Hey man, I feel like shit. Like I like for no reason at all, just hate my life today. And they'll not think you're doing it for attention for them to know that that's just how you're wired and, you know, help you through that. You know what I'm saying? And I got a good team that if I'm like, yo man, I don't fucking feel like doing that. You know, like they're really cool about not trying to press me to do shit. I don't want to do. That's why I've been scared to sign record deals. I don't want to never get in a situation where I don't have the right to say no. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. you see that in your world too. Comedians end up in all these deals and they're fucking losing their mind. They're like, I don't want to go to set today. And they're like, nope, you don't have a choice, motherfucker. You coming to set. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a team that's like, if I'm just like, dude, I'm not going today. They're just like, cool, don't go. I'd be like, I'm going to fucking get drunk. They're like, cool, what bar are we meeting yet? You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> the I tin got, roof. Yeah, yeah, fucking easy, easy sell. So <laughs> I think that's important. You know, it's basically you're speaking to a community and having a community around you. And, you know, as much as it takes a village to raise a child, it also takes a village to, you know, support a man and and a woman and whoever through those times. And it's important. I think you are a voice for the voiceless in so many aspects, especially because of depression, you know, um, through a lot of your songs on, you know, Beautiful Disaster and and even the, the newer album you have self-medicated you have a disclaimer above it that says if i can just help one person in any way right what does it say above it oh, yeah yeah for sure if i can just help one person in any way it's what this is what i tell i have people email me 
say, man, excuse me, dude. I'm sorry. I know I keep sniffling. I don't got the COVID. I did blow this. Am I weekend. making you cry? No, no. I did blow this weekend, and I'm really struggling to get over it. But um, <laughs> it's it's fucking. It's, uh, oh my god, I love like, you. I don't do it like I used to. So now when I do it, it lingers. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I. <laughs> wow. I just wow. dribbled myself a little bit. <laughs> you are the most honest, one of the most honest people I've ever talked to. <laughs> you are. It's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm finna talk about something so serious. Let me get this out. Hold yeah, on. you're talking about your album self-medicated. <laughs> you, you said verbatim, I my dear, you said, hope this finds somebody who needs it. Yeah, no, it's like. I have people send messages like, yo, man, your music helped me get sober. Your music, um, you know, helped me through the death of a family member. Your music kept me from killing myself, like deep messages. And I was telling somebody one day that if just one of those people is telling the truth, right, they might all be telling the truth. But I mean, let's just let's just for all argumentative persons, just say one person's telling the truth. Man, that's amazing. You know it what I'm is. saying? Like that, that's amazing. Like that I from remotely had an opportunity to help somebody get sober, stop them from suicide, help them through the worst moment. I don't, one thing I don't take for granted is what I do. And this is where I connect with comedians too, is you've got whatever your set time is normally like our specials, right? When y'all get into right. that part of the game, you got one hour where you can change how everybody in the fucking world feels. You know what I'm saying? You got one fucking hour where every problem's left at the kitchen table. We're all sitting down and watching fucking Jess May Palooza right now. And <laughs> three, four minutes into it, we're grabbing our belly. We're all pissing ourselves a little bit. We're ha-ha on each other. You know what I mean? We're relating. And for one hour, every problem in the world didn't matter. I, I'm sure you don't take that for granted. Like, I don't take for granted that I get to make somebody's life different for three minutes at a time. I got three minutes to either make you feel what you're feeling and deal with it or to help you get through it or to take your mind off of it, whichever one you're listening for. And I know I make music for all three. I make music for you to put something in and be like, I'm not thinking about that shit for the next three minutes. I'm going to smoke a joint, get high and listen to this. Or like, you know what? I'm going to process this emotion this way. You know what I mean? I don't take that for granted. So I just hope that it, I hope the music meets people where they are and I hope it helps. I think it does. I think it does. And it's one of the things that, because of the way you've approached your career, because I think also the what your grandfather instilled in your father and what your father instilled in you as far as like the business aspect, you understood and saw value in helping individual people and growing individual fans because it is a fan base, but your approach is a very individual focused style right, right. where you're oh, yeah. speaking to a person. Oh, yeah. No, no. Like directly. People tell me all the time. And I feel like you wrote that song about me. And I told somebody recently I did because I quit writing songs about me years ago. Yep. You know, when I really started identifying who I was writing songs for, I just gave my perspective of their story. You know what I'm saying? Did it so make I, it easier or harder? It made it, it makes it so much easier. You know, you know who you're speaking to. Now, now the creative part is making sure you don't write the same song over and over again. Right. You know, you know, it's like for you, it's like, how do you, how do you make these 60 minutes better than the last 60 minutes? You know, how do you make this 15 minute set so strong 
that it means something in 15 minutes. You know, what's your best yes. 15 minutes, you know, without without it sounding like something they'd already heard. Or So, I mean, that's where it starts getting interesting. You and know, making what, them want more. You got to leave them with just enough, but not mm -hmm. too much and, and make them feel so connected yeah. that they need to find you. They have to find you in some other way. Yeah, it's just a it's a different thing. But yeah, mu music is music has got a healing power to it, just like laughter. We're the only people that are in the therapy business without being in the goddamn therapy business. I tell I you, mean, for sure. let me tell you, everyone, they call me Dr. Peluso. I'm not even a real doctor. And yeah. I got people who message me all the time. I'm like, yeah. I have to put disclaimers. Like, look, I am not a real doctor. No, I need no, I all of you. Your story when you're like, I am not a real doctor, but you can ask Dr. Peluso whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? Um, here's a good question. Another question. Is that okay? Oh, of course I'm here. Mask Jesse. Are you already where you want to be? No, but I'm further than I ever thought I would be. So that's probably Damn. like the weirdest way to answer that. It's like, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm a lot further than I ever thought I would be. You know, it's like, I never want to get stagnant. You know, if I'm ever where I want to be, I'll quit. You know what I mean? It's like, if I ever, people ask me, what's your favorite album you ever released? And I don't say it because I'm supposed to. Right now it's self-medicating. Yeah. The day that I believe the album I didn't just put out is my best album. I won't put that motherfucker out. Yep. That's you know a great I'm answer. I'm going to quit the music business before it quits me. You know, Seinfeld, sure. you're going to Seinfeld yeah. that shit. I'm, a, I'm up out of here, dog. I tell people I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. I won't do no fucking goodbye tour. I won't do a reunion tour. I won't do a final album fucking notification. I'm fucking gone, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like for sure. Yes. The day I can't sit in this room and pick up that guitar or fucking sit down with my keyboard player or fucking my dude David Ray and write fucking songs that I think can change the world, I'm fucking out of here, y'all. Or fucking Tristan, if Tristan yeah. isn't in there. Yeah, yeah, I wish he was. He'd be so excited. <laughs> He's like, yes, I'm on a podcast. He's like, um, Joey Eoke, a girl, asks, this is a relationship question, which I think we touched on a little bit earlier, but I think you might have some good insider for her. She said, my boyfriend's not affectionate at all, but I'm like a fucking chinchilla. I need it. And he said he would try. So, uh, Well, you got to hold him accountable to what he says. That's one. You know, he said he'd try. You got to find a way to be like, yo, what's up with that effort? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but two is like, y'all need to have the deeper talk that is the language of love talk, right? Like that is your language of love. That is your, you know, and then you need to figure out what his language of love is and then figure out where the compromise is and get him to understand that that's really the language that you respond to the best. You know what I'm saying? For like, yep. What do you respond to the best? Like in your relationship, what's your love um, language? Probably just time. Mm -hmm. you know, I probably respond best to communication and time. Just like any time I get to spend with bunny, you know, like, yep. we, like our art. And I think hers is the same. She also likes physical touch, but it's like, we and before that, about every two or three months, we go somewhere for a weekend, just us, you know, dating. Yeah, it's back to dating. It's like because we're so busy, we can't do it the way we want to. So it's like, all right, fuck it. Right now, we're planning to go to like the West Coast in November for like a week. We'll go for two weeks. One week, we'll bring the family out. The other week, it'll be just us. Oh, that's you know? beautiful. Yeah, yeah. We won't fuck with our phones. You know what I'm saying? And we do that Get like naked every, in the sand. Yes, do we do that every two to three months? Like. And if it's getting real hectic, we'll just stop what we're doing and go now. Yeah. You know, like if we start getting like a little squirrely with each other, 
you know, we're, you know what I'm saying? Then we'll just sit down and be like, yo, we fucking need to go to like, you know, and I understand that everybody, you know, maybe you're not in a financial situation to just run away, right? Cool. Clear the fucking house out. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and make that your paradise, you know? Do whatever the fuck y'all want to do. I know a couple that no lie, every Friday gets their kids picked up by the grandparents. They walk out the front door, like when they drop the kids off, act like they're getting in the car. And when the kids get in, in the grandparents' car, they run back in the house and they play video games every Friday night like fucking kids. And this is this couple's thing. This is their thing, though. You know, they were gamers. They got like fucking five kids now. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just go back and just smoke weed and fucking play video games and just are completely, that's their irresponsibleness. You know what I'm saying? And feeling so, like they're friends, like you said. Yeah, you spoke like to that. that. This is how we started. You know what I'm saying? This was our shit. Before we had kids, we'd fucking get stoned. And now we literally smoke weed one day a week because we got five kids, a nanny. We both got successful careers. Oh, we'll I tell my sister she needs to start the day with some weed. Yeah. No, first you got to wake up and dab. You got to wake up and dab. You got to dab and dad. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> dab and dad. <laughs> I should write that book. You know what I'm saying? Write it. Please write it. Um. A couple more questions, and I'm going to get a closing thought from you. Um, Natalie G, 1806, when did you find out you loved Bunny? Oh, dude. Uh, corny answer alert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I met her, I knew Bunny was special. Like, you know, you just meet people and go, man, that girl is like. I think that we were both able to see that we were bigger than our current situations. She was with wow. like her abusive douchebag and I was a fucking drug addict, fucking wannabe musician at the time. So it's like, I think that we both seen past that with each other. You know what I mean? Like immediately, you know, and I just harassed her for Xanax bars until she finally gave me a conversation. <laughs> Let the record reflect. Xanax. You Xanax. Have any Xanax. <laughs> um, this might be a quick one. Mostly Nero. Favorite Tom Waits album. Tom Waits. Yeah. Oh God. Are you a fan of Tom Waits? No, am I finna get crucified for not being? I don't know. Maybe he assumed you did because of the self-narration that happens through your music, but it's a totally different genre. Yeah, well, I listen to a lot of genre-bending stuff. I do not listen to hip-hop or much rock, for what it's worth. But um, I, I listen to, like, old-school rap. Like, I'm, like, really stuck in the 90s with that shit. You know what so I'm saying? So am I. Yeah, it's, like, fucking the golden years for me. Favorite 90s rapper? Oh, fuck, dude. It's so hard. Yeah, it's so, so, dude. There were, I feel like every great rapper that ever came out was in the 90s, right? They the all were. 2000s or the super early 2000s. Um, I was also a big fan of like local rap. So, like, yeah. in the 90s, we had a local rapper named Cool Daddy Fresh. And he had a song that was like, Sex Drive, rolling through the West Side, been around the world, and girl, I, 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 I can't tell you no, no lie, because I love to drive him crazy till the day that I die. Sex Drive, rolling through the West Side. And I still bang that shit. Like, I can still sing it, and it's from like 97. You know what I'm saying? Like, for sure. Just some dude in the cut who never got to the top. Yeah, he did really good, but he never, you know, really, you know, outside of our region, people are like, cool daddy fresh, but he was the man. I think I had this comparison between Nas and Jay-Z, how Nas was like the Nikola Tesla and Jay-Z was like Thomas Edison. Yes. Like they both were so creative in their own way and both were complete geniuses, but just one's name got more popular. 
Yeah. Yeah. And they were both so descriptive. So descriptive. So descriptive. I love music that paints a real picture, man. I love when you can listen to something and see it. That's why I'm a huge James Taylor fan. You know what I'm saying? James Taylor? Oh, dude. Let's talk about my favorite songwriters, right? My favorite songwriters of the not this generation, like the olders, James Taylor, Jim Gucci, one of the greatest songwriters ever. No, my our, our dog Chachi, my wife's dog. His real name is Crochi. She just changed his name because oh. that's what she does to people. But um, <laughs> uh, Chachi, we named him after Jim Crochi. Like I am beyond a Jim Crochi fan. Bob Seger, my playlist is stuck in the seventies. Dylan, both Dylans. I'm talking about the Tambourine Man, Dylan. I mean, I, I can fuck with like a Rolling Stone too. And when Bob Dylan put the sunglasses off and didn't take them off for 10 years and plugged in the guitar. I loved but it. I, but I really fuck with like, hey, Mr. Tambourine, man. Like I fuck with like the old Dylan. Like those dudes wrote so descriptive songs and about crazy shit. Jim Croce had a song about I fell in love with the roller derby queen. And he was talking about this big bitch that was beating people up in a roller derby. You know what I'm saying? It was like, he said she was built like a refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious, man. Sounds Listen, like a big bitch. It's wild, dude. He wrote songs about pool hussers. Uh, you know, the famous song was about old pool hussers. Man. Bad, bad, Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the whole damn town. And he wrote like really fucked up songs. Operator. Oh, that uh, song? Are Fox you number kidding me? 10. What about box number 10? Straight out of Southern. Illinois. Game long haul country boy. You know what I'm saying? He talked about somebody beating him up and taking his guitar and his money and him asking for his mama to send him more money. That's the kind of songs he was writing. And you think about James Taylor. Dude, I could go on this rant forever. You think about James Taylor and like Sweet Baby James when he talks about the frosting from Stock Ridge to Boston and he like paints this whole picture of like what the roads look like. Right. He was very descriptive in his music. Dude, that dude was like it was just you could close your eyes and listen to that music and go where they were you know yeah. what i'm saying like they painted that clear of a picture it's interesting that you like that music because for me um i gravitate more towards and not sadder but i guess lower energy things because i'm such a high energy person and my comedy's very high energy and you know somewhat motivational that i like I am, I gravitate towards sad music and towards, you know, movies that not comedies. Like I don't listen to comedy. I listen to, you know, darker things and watch darker things. So it's interesting that you kind of have that, you know, what you enjoy doesn't necessarily fit with necessarily with what you're putting out as much. There's a little bit of a little, you know, there's a difference there. Mm -hmm. Well, I've always identified with sad clowns. My father had pit paintings of them all over our house when I was a kid. Yeah, what's and that I, lyric? You have that lyric in... Um, yeah, to tell the truth, I'm infatuated with sad clowns. I guess they help me better understand my dad now. Yeah. Entertain at the expense of pain. Those that dance in the rain instead of just complain. Yeah, so it's like... But as identifying as a sad clown, I love a good happy circus clown act. Right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I know who I am. I know what my shit is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what's right here. You feel me? So it's like, I guess for comedians, I kind of expect that. Like whenever I watch uh, Rogan post shit, like on his playlist shit, like Sturgill, I'm a huge Sturgill fan. Yes. So is he. And I'm like, you know what? I would totally like, 
I don't like I don't expect Joe Rogan to be out here like listening to fucking, you know, happy feet. <laughs> yeah, like I just don't, you know, like for what he does and his energy, like fuck, that's totally what I expect him to listen to, you know. So I think that's the connection with it too. You know, I think that we're always goes back to you listening to music in the car and me listening to fucking the sharp tongue podcast in my car. You know what I mean? Like it's just fucking <laughs> you know, it's like you're gonna have to listen to this one. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm gonna share it with everybody. Seeger, by the way, I hate to talk about all the 70s icons and not talk, talk about, about whatever you want. Because Bob Seeger had the greatest quote about music ever. And I've stole this quote from him for 10 years and never gave him credit. So I should today. He said, I search for songs I can sing with conviction. Mm. And just in one sentence, that meant so much to me. You know, when it was like, where'd you get your voice from? How did you learn to sing like that? And he didn't put, he didn't take none of the credit for it. He took the song, he gave the song the credit. He was like, I just search for songs I can sing with conviction. Like, I'm not fucking, a, I don't even know what, what y'all think about my singing necessarily. I just, these are, this, I, I feel convicted when I sing it. So that's how I sing. I love that. When you think that's, about that he did, you know? Yeah. And, and you think about like, uh, you know, even just the jokes and stand up. Like, if I can't deliver it with conviction, I, if I can't feel connected to it, I, it doesn't feel right. Right. Coming right. out of my mouth. Yeah, exactly. Of some sort, you know, and like I got to, you don't always have to tell your story. It might be a story that you, you know, your sister's story. It's just funny and you connect with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like going back to, you know, who your people are. So yeah. I, just, I think about Bob saying that all the time, dude. And I think about songs like against the wind, you know what I'm saying? That's go, such a great song. Best, my favorite song ever. You know what it I'm really, saying? It's such a quintessential, like, it's, first of all, it's a great road trip song. Oh, yeah. And it's oh, just so, it's so, um, like you talk about songs sort of painting the picture. It's that type of song. Oh, yeah. No, my wife loves Blame It On Midnight, Shame On The Moon. Ooh, Blame It On Midnight, Shame On The Moon. That's like her shit. Yeah. What Ooh. about Stevie Ray Vaughan? Oh, dude, stop it. I love, <sighs> love, love, love. Any, anytime somebody can make the song talk to me and the guitar. I love people that can make an instrument convey an emotion. Yeah. It's so powerful. Different. Like you can literally, I can feel what you're feeling because of an instrument you're playing. Like that's fucking insane to me. You didn't have to say a word, you know, and I appreciate that because I'm a top line guy. I can play. What does that mean? Guitar. I'm a lyric guy. So it's like, I'm not like melodies and shit, the song melodies, lyric melodies, but guitar shit that's not my shit you know what i mean but i can play just enough to trick people at a fucking bar <laughs> at a, you know at a party <laughs> yeah yeah. i could break it out if, if there's not a real guitar player there i could pull one out at the beach and people be like woo you know but i'm like a fucking guitar player so i'm just like jealous of the dudes who can do that you know what i mean what you um spoke a little earlier about like your mom having her demons and you have your own what do you think what do you think are your reoccurring demons? You know, I have a lyric on Waylon and Willie four that I said, uh, when it comes to depression, we all deal with the different as for me, it's obesity and alcoholism. Right. And I feel like if there was ever a fucking two bars that could describe what I struggle with the most now, you know, and this is coming from a guy who like, I'm really proud to have these problems in this weird way. Cause my drug of choice used to be more right. Like it used to be like, what's in your pocket, you know, like, well, you, do you party? It's like, yeah. What do you party with? What do you got? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, 
Well, we got a little meth. Well, fuck it. We're doing meth tonight. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, anybody got anything better? No? Okay, well, we're doing meth. You know what I'm saying? It's like fucking, you know. So, like, to go from that to, to being, like, the dude who, like, might hit the pack, like, twice a year if I'm, like, really celebrating I'm so drunk I trust the guy with the pack. And I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Tonight's a cocaine night. I only do it twice a year. You know what I'm saying? It's like. I feel really proud of myself. Like I used to drink codeine when I met my wife. I, oh, I wow. codeine, took Xanax. I was a cocktail of death, you know, but yeah, now it's just, you know, dealing with the obvious. So, and I'm working on them. I'm getting through it. You it's know? day by day. It's incremental progress, you know, and yeah, it's, I, I celebrate the progress I have made. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you have to, I haven't drank lean and fuck man, probably two years now. So I'm proud. That's, of that. a, that's an accomplishment. Big accomplishment. You know, and it was hard because there was a moment you go through it as an artist where you're like, can I be creative without it? Yeah, 100% because it becomes a crutch and you're like, I don't know how to perform without it. And I, it, I, I can't write without it. And, you know, I, I went through stages like that in my career early in my career. I was like, oh, I need to be buzzed before I go on stage. Or I need to be drunk when I'm performing. And right. No, it's just it, a, totally it's a hard thing. When when you cut albums that do well and you know that you were drinking you know, four ounces of fucking promethazine and codeine every time you recorded those songs or wrote them, you know, you go in there to do it without it. You feel weird, you know? So I've learned it, now that the music's the drug, so I can, I do it sober now. Now, now I'm getting old enough to where I won't even drink until towards the end of a session. And was that, um, with self-medicated, is that how you recorded? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like sometimes it's just weird for me. It just kind of depends on where I'm at mentally. But yep. for the most part, it was a soberish album. Soberish. I drank. I think a lot. sober again. Soberish yep. is it's a step better. in the right direction. I didn't, I didn't do no lean or no crazy drugs or nothing. My wife cleared me of all that. She just came right in and was like, "Yo, I'm with you. Whatever you want to do, but just like you know, we got we got to do something better here. We got to figure this out." So she don't mind me drinking because I'm not like I think more than anything I don't let it get in the way of my father was really good about it. it never affected his business. Right. Like fucking five o'clock in the morning, that dude was up. I don't care what time he went to sleep or what condition he went to sleep in. You know, you never heard him complain. I complain of hangovers, never heard him complain of a hangover. But one of the big lessons he taught me in life was, you know, never let personal feelings, physical feelings, or the weather keep you from conducting business. Oh, you know, literally, I'll never forget that. It was like one of his buddy quotes that I'll like forever quote to my daughter, like personal, physical or weather. Like, I don't give a fuck. The day he taught me that it was like the biggest snow in Nashville history in like 97. It was like fucking crazy snow. And he was like, come on, rad with me to work. I got to go pick some up. We'll come right back. I was like, what? And we're driving and cars are like wrecked everywhere. Right. And dad's driving and just fucking, you know, sipping his scotch of water. You know what I'm saying? Because back in those eras, that was all right. Nobody judged people for that. So he's just driving and we're talking and he's like, he's acting like it's not snowing. I'm watching cars wrecked everywhere. We're like the only people on the road. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh man, I ain't worried about this shit. If you worry about it, that's when people wreck. And that's when he taught me another big lesson. He said, and I taught my daughter, will quote this to this day. The problem always starts with panic. Not what you think the problem is. A hundred and twenty-seven percent. Right, like, and you, sometimes the problem only is the panic. It's only the panic. That's what he said. He said, "Dude, the problem starts with the panic, not the problem." 
you because it might not be a problem, but as soon as you panic, it's a problem. Right. He told me he's like, dude, these people just panicked, man. You won't get panic about this shit. Just fucking, you know, don't <laughs> slam on the brakes. You know what I'm saying? He had like the most fucking. He was like a fucking Socrates of white trash America. He's just like fucking giving me these little jewels and just driving and fetch his cup down to switch gears because back then a lot of cars wasn't automatic. He'd switch gears and pick his cup back up. Be like, oh, these people are panicking, man. Fucking. It's why he wouldn't go drink on St. Patrick's Day. He'd be like, oh, it's fucking amateur hour, man. That's when somebody's going to get arrested or go to jail or wreck. He's like, Our well, dads would have been best friends. <laughs> they would have been best friends. You don't even understand. Oh my God. My dad. He used to get, he would only pay cash for a car. We had like 10 cars he bought for like two grand. Like he would buy a car and we'd run it to the ground. Yes, and- that was our philosophy. Yes. Yes. Never have a car note, own the car, drive until it can't drive no yes. more. My wife bought me a truck for my birthday because my other truck had 250,000 miles on it. And I was like, <laughs> nope, not getting rid of it. She was like, what? <laughs> They are it just that was my dad's whole approach. He's like, we're gonna get all 10 piece of shit cars, and I still won't spend the money I would have spent on a brand new car, and we would have we'll still make it. But in the interim, his piece of shit car would break down, or my piece of shit car would break down. So we'd have to borrow each other's car to get through. And so when he'd take my car and I'd get it back, when I'd come to the stop sign a whole six pack of empty beer bottles would come underneath <laughs> the driver's seat and like hit my heel, like click, 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 clank, clank. Like, dad, could you at least empty your beers before you give me my car back? Let me know there's an open container in the car. <laughs> Let me know there's an empty case underneath my driver's seat. Oh, God, our dads would have loved each other. Oh, my, dad, my dad would throw beer cans out the window. And he would have the <laughs> dynamics of a time just right that they would fly into the bed of the pickup truck, right? So he would just be like, and he'd throw it. And I think he's throwing it out. And I'd watch it go whipping right into the pile of them in the back of the bed of the truck. So one night my brother's taking me to play football in our dad's truck and we get pulled over and the cops walking up and he stops at the back of the truck, which has like 85, maybe a hundred empty cans of beer in it. He walks up and goes, sir, you've been drinking. He said, man, dude, I've been, I've been, I've been coaching little league football all night. Dude, I'm fucking 22 years old. This is my 12 year old brother. He was like, there's just a lot of empty beer cans in the back. He said, yeah, man, our dad, uh, recycles. (laughs) He would just throw them out the window and clink them. And when he got a truck bed full of them, he dropped them off the recycling place. <laughs> dead dad's club. Oh my God. We're both in the dead dad's club. What's, what's one of the things you remember most fondly about your dad? Um, Probably his laugh and his ability to tell stories. Like he would tell stories like me, but he he didn't talk as much as I did, but he was real <laughs> right. But he was said a lot with a little, and that's something I'm trying to master as I get older. But he would, uh, he had this uncanny way of, you know, creating a environment around him, you know, like, like just casual, just sitting at the bar. And I would come into, my brother said it at his funeral. He said he got so popular at the tin roof that my brother said he felt like he'd have to make an appointment with him <laughs> because he would like come in and dad would be in his little corner of the bar, just holding court. <laughs> like the whole staff and like five other locals, you know, and he's just sitting there just hanging out, just sipping his scotch and water, vodka and whatever. I don't know about your dad, but my dad constantly changed what he drank. He was like, he wasn't like, I'm like a tequila all the way guy. Me, I, I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to be a whiskey all the way guy, but my dad is like, 
you know, oh, fuck, it's cold enough outside to drink scotch. And it's warm <laughs> enough outside to drink vodka. It was like a weather thing for him. You know what I'm saying? And he'd just be sitting there holding court. What's your fondness with your dad? Um, You know, I think, honestly, I would have to say his laugh, too, because he laughed so robustly. He was just a really affable man. Everyone loved him. Um, one of my favorite things about him was he spoke to every human being like they mattered and not in like a, like a pastoral way, like a, you know, in a weird way. It was more, he just acknowledged people. Right. And he tried to connect with every single person that he crossed, he crossed paths with. Mm. And just from like the grocery store standing in line, he would strike up a conversation with the cashier, the bag kid on the way to the car, maybe somebody in the parking lot. And it it wasn't like this needy thing. It just was a natural just personality thing that he had with people. And he, he had a way of, of making people feel comfortable too. And I do that. And I don't, I don't even realize that I do that, but I do that, where I yeah. talk to everybody. No, I'm the same way. My wife calls me out on it. She says, I'm just like him. Our dads would have been best friends. He was the same way. He would That's just, so just real casual, not in like a creepy old man way, but just in a really kind of cool, casual, just, you know, just start talking, you know, just if he had a second, you know, he'd start a conversation. It'd be something. Yes. Just so, he, had, he had a real knack for being able to start a conversation out of nothing. Yes. You know what I mean? Like he could that read. Was my dad. Well, yeah, he could just read people really well and be like, okay, this is, you know, and I'm like, my, and my wife's so funny because she's like, you know, and I'm like, hey, everybody. <laughs> so it's like, we're so funny together because she's like, oh my, she won't go to grocery stores with me or anything. She's like, it takes <laughs> I could be your adoptive sister when <laughs> I come to Nashville. I'll do the grocery shopping with you. <laughs> she can have a break. She's like, dude, um, I'm not going in here. It's been two hours to get what took me 20 minutes. <laughs> what would you say to your fans listening who are dealing with their own demons? And maybe, you know, they don't have an outlet like music. What would you say for them to do to start to deal and process with those emotions? Don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody. I don't care how it makes you feel or what you think people's motive is in that. Do not be afraid to reach out to somebody. Um, find a support system. If you're battling addiction, nine out of 10 times, you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Seek help. They do have people that are willing to help. They have programs for everybody, rich, poor, sad, glad, mad, happy. They'll find a way to help you, man. And, and what I can assure people who are dealing with certain kind of demons is it does not get better. You know, it, it's, it doesn't, it's not one of those things that it, you're mentally wrong to think, oh man, this is, this phase will go away. It's if you're, if you're in deep, dude, it's not a phase, man, you need help. You know, and that's what I tell people. It took me a long time to be open to help, like help, like anybody, like to be able to sit down with just my wife, even, you know, this week I've had a really rough week. Just for no reason. Had a great album release, charted. I mean, just had everything. Charted going- top 10. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. With some really heavy hitters. Yep, with no label. Fucking (sighs) only one in that top 10 that doesn't have a label. Congratulations. Uh, I saw that. I was like, woo. It's big for the underdog, baby. Yes. You know, a week that I should be just really happy, you know, and I just like was just, just been in the dumps all week, you know, and the wife's just really, you know, I just have somebody I can talk to about it. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, find somebody you can go to. 
don't count on the internet to help you every time. They'll let you down. You know what I'm saying? That's what I tell you. Absolutely. Like, well, I posted about it. I was like, no, call somebody. Pick up about it too if that makes you feel better. Because I post about it when I'm feeling fucked up. But call somebody. Don't count on the internet. They'll let you down. And and what about your relationship with love now? Because I think artists like us, we navigate that on a, a fine wire because we've obviously endured a lot and have gone through a lot and seen our parents go through a lot. How do you keep yourself connected to love? Well, I'm just like a loving dude by nature. It goes back to the striking up a conversation with everybody. Like I just love people like as a general trait, like I just have a lot of love for people, a lot of empathy above everything, you know, I'm very empathic. And, uh, it's a, uh, I think that's what I grounded in. And I grounded in family. Mm-hmm. The most important thing for me is like, like you're with your sister now, right? You know, out there, out there, we're all still praying for a no pants Nance. <laughs> <laughs> when you emailed that to me, I was dying. I, when my assistant Deb, she's like, you gotta check out that email. <laughs> you said praying for no pants Nance. Yeah, praying for no pants Nance, you know, but it's like, you keep yourself rooted in that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, you, you know, he was a flight away from being back in Syracuse. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's what's important to me. My wife will tell you that I live, you know, it's it's my daughter, which she raises is her daughter. It's our daughter, which is shows just infinite into her character. Mm-hmm. But my niece lives with us. She helps with the daughter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a friend of mine lives with us. A friend of hers lives with us. I have another niece that's always there. My brother comes up once a weekend. One of my brothers does. Like, That's amazing. I just, I just stay rooted. In. We have a no-call, no-knock policy with family. Yeah, that's great. You know, if you're family, family, like my family, like you don't have to call. Just come on. Never I'll, see you. I'll see you on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come on. Come on, dude. Just do Come straight on in, dude. It's our, it's, it's, it's the philosophy that has kept our family tight, you know, but my mother was like that. So I took that trait from her still to this day. I can go knock on my mama's door at three o'clock in the morning, wake her up out of a dead sleep. She will not act like she's been in a dead sleep. She will open the door, hug me, walk straight to the kitchen table, turn the light on, light a fucking cigarette, grab a Coke and go, what's going on? You know, and, and instead, like, not even what's going on. Like, why are you here? Like, how was your day? Like, she won't even let you feel the uncomfort of knowing you woke her up at three in the morning. She's just like, yeah, whatever. You're here. I don't care what time it is. What do you want to talk about? I think that's beautiful. You you grew up with parents that loved you, and it's it's a testament to who you are today and to to the quality of your music and that you've thrived during this hard time. Um, you have self-medicated that came out, a beautiful disaster, uh, addiction kills. Oh yeah. And then uh, Waylon and um, Willie. Yeah, Waylon and Willie. We got, we got another one coming. That's me and my best friends. <laughs> albums all the time, but we got another one coming for the year. That's so fun when you can be able to do shit with your best friend. Oh. Yeah, that's the best part. That's yep. the best part. And um, I guess the last bit of advice that you could give to our listeners and your fans as well, new fans is how they can thrive during this time. Stay active. You know, I think that's the most important thing is just don't be, my thing is this, I'm not afraid to swing the bat. That's one good trait I have in general. And I preach that to every up and coming artist, everybody trying to be something in life, you know, don't be afraid to swing the bat. 
and don't count on immediate results. You know, I have music artists come to me and go, man, it just, it's not working out for me. I go, well, you know, how many projects have you put out in the last two years? Well, I put out an EP. Dude, I'm going to put out 50 songs this year, dog. Like, what are you talking? Dude, I put out 37 titled mixtapes in my career, albums or mixtapes. 37 times I put the name Jelly Roll on the cover of something and tried to take it to the public, right? 31 of those times I made no money. like zero money like embed it all like you know treated it like a presidential campaign like this is is big you know like i was really going for it you know what i mean and i tell people man you got to stay consistent and not be afraid to swing the fucking bat baby you know i think that's great advice consistency whoo that's the one gary v once said that uh if they were giving away somebody a million dollars and to somebody who could hit a home run off of a pitcher that never played baseball before, there would be a line wrapped around Yankee stadium. And he said that people would go in and swing 10, 15 times, get tired and look back at the people going, hurry up, let somebody else try and not care. You know, and they, they just drop the bat and let the next person come up. He said, one of those people in that line would be the dude. that was like, I don't care who's booing at me. Who's telling me, hurry, I'm going to sit here and swing till I connect with that fucking ball. That's my personality. I am going to pass out of a heat stroke right here swinging this bat before anybody talks me into letting this bat out of my hand. This is my chance to make a million dollars, and I'm going to swing this motherfucker over and over and over. There's going to be dudes, boo, you're never going to do it. Move. Let somebody else try. Man, fuck you. And I'm swinging again. You know what I'm saying? For sure. I think, honestly, um, you're you're – I needed this. (laughs) You're my bright light in this, you know, I've also had a a rough week as you know. So I appreciate you coming on and being so forthcoming and vulnerable and willing to talk about all of your stuff and, and, and be real about, you know, things that you struggle with. Uh, Where can my people find you? What can they download? Yeah. Listen, anywhere there's music, I'm there. Just type in jelly roll space between the jelly and the roll, or you can spell it together. I think it'll still find me. I'm at jelly roll six one five on Instagram. I'm at jelly roll six one five on Twitter. Um, just type in jelly roll on YouTube. I think it's youtube.com forward slash jelly roll, but you'll yes. find me. I'm there. Um, and I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm on TikTok. I think I'm jelly roll six one five on TikTok. I, TikTok is my favorite platform because I don't put a lot of music stuff on there. It's normally just me like, you know, being goofy. Yeah, dancing on tables and shit. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, and don't forget to go to Spotify. Check out his albums. His, his latest album is Self-Medicated. Uh, he also has A Beautiful Disaster and Addiction Kills, as well as Waylon and Willie. I'm a huge fan, and now you. I'm a friend. Yes, thank you. You're stuck I'm with me. Sister, family member. Yes. I'm going to put that open door policy to the test. I'm going to show Come up on. with no pants. No, come on, dude. I expect it from your family you come from. So come on, dude. <laughs> Just know that my wife will try to touch your butt for sure. I will, your wife and I will snuggle all weekend. Yeah, my <laughs> wife is a butt toucher. She's, <laughs> she chases me around the house with the claw. Just pow, pow. I'm just like, oh, God. Tell but, Bunny she can touch my butt. <laughs> oh, dude, she'd be tickled pink, man. My wife is a show me your butt. She's the girl that gets drunk and gets, gets other girls randomly at a bar to show their butthole. <laughs> She's like, show me your butthole. You know what I'm saying? Her and like, I are going to be best friends. Yeah, dude, she's a fucking, she is, a, my wife is a lunatic in a good way. 
So yeah, you're, dude, you're welcome anytime for real. We'd love to have you. You can join this white trash family. You're, you're, you're oh, I would love to. I seriously, I have all the tattoos for it. Yes, yes, yes. You'd blend right in. I've got a tramp stamp. Does this help? Yes. No, that's an automatic entry. <laughs> my ticket, my tramp stamp ticket into the white trash kingdom. Oh my God. Jelly Roll, you're a freaking delight, man. My comedy. Look at my back tattoo. It starts at my ass crack. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. This is this is what it sounded like. Yes, this is the show, guys. This is what it sounded like the yes. entire week. Yes, this is my nephew, Karina. Okay. Karina, do you want to say something? Ah! Oh, God. Any parents out there? Send help. Send help. No. Okay, say okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. I'm going to go find the tequila and weed. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.